Our scripture lesson is taken from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll begin a reading at verse 1 and read through verse 17. My focus will be on uh, just verse 16 and really only the first two-thirds of verse 16. When I gave the bulletin information uh, to the secretary uh, about a week and a half ago, my preparation was not complete, and since then I've narrowed the focus from verses 16, 17 to just two-thirds of verse 16. So we want to look today at uh, verse 16, but I'll begin reading at verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in Holy Scripture concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the Apostle Paul was eager to go to Rome. He had preached the gospel in many places, but when he wrote this letter, he had not yet been able to get there. He was eager because he felt an obligation, a duty. He calls it being indebted. He has a debt that had to be paid and could only be paid by preaching the gospel. The debt had been imposed upon him by Christ when Christ called him to be an apostle of the gospel of God. It was not a burdensome duty. It was not an onerous debt. It was an obligation he was eager to discharge. And Paul's eagerness is 
the result not just of a sense of duty and obligation, but it is especially due that he sees the benefit that the gospel has for those who receive it. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I stand before you today under a similar obligation imposed on me by Christ when Christ, through his church, called me to be a minister of the gospel. I also am eager to discharge that debt by preaching the gospel to you so that God's power may be at work in your lives, bringing you the great salvation that Christ has won for us. Now, because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, our enemy, Satan, works very hard to try to prevent the gospel from being preached. And one of the chief strategies which Satan has been very successful with is to make preachers and believers ashamed of the gospel. This morning I want to consider with you this matter of being ashamed of the gospel. Paul affirms, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There was some hint of accusation that he is answering here. Perhaps you haven't come to Rome because you're afraid, afraid of persecution, afraid of what people might say or do. You're ashamed of the gospel, and that's why you haven't come to us. And he doesn't say, oh, I won't even dignify that charge with an answer. He recognizes that, that people do become ashamed of the gospel, and so he wants to affirm that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Writing to his young protege in the faith, his true child in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he warned Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He was concerned that Timothy might become ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, ashamed of the gospel. And so he, he warns him against that. And of course, our Savior does the same for all of us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 26, For whoever, Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, who is ever ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Satan wants to make us ashamed. And so I want to consider with you, of what? Of what are we tempted to be ashamed? Why would be, we be ashamed? And why should we not be ashamed? Of what should we not be ashamed? Well, of course, of the gospel. But what is the gospel? You know, there are lots of things that call themselves gospel in the world today. There's a social gospel. There's a gospel of liberation. There's a health and wellness gospel. There's a word of faith gospel. There's a new apostolic gospel as well as the old perversions of the gospel by uh, Arianism uh, that denies the Trinity or 
Pelagianism and Arminianism that denies that Christ has accomplished our salvation, saying he's only made it possible and you have to make it actual. What is the gospel? Well, it is the gospel of God. Verse 1 of Romans 1, called to be an apostle of God, uh, separated to the gospel of God which, according to verse 3, is concerning his Son. The God's gospel is the gospel of the Son, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news. The word gospel means good news. It is the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. When Paul went to Corinth, he preached the gospel. And writing to them, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, who he is, and him crucified, what he has come to do. Later on in that same epistle, he said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Scriptures said someone was coming. Who is he? He is the Christ. And what has he come to do? He's come to suffer, to die, to be buried, to be raised from the dead. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. That is the gospel. John's gospel opens by telling us who Jesus is. He is the Word, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, the Word through whom all things were made, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal second person of the Trinity has become a human being. That's who Jesus is. And what has he come to do? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 introduces us to who he is and what he came to do. That's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that uh, the Bible uh, puts before us. The gospel that begins, <laughs> begins in Genesis. Who is he? He's the seed of the woman. What has he come to do? Crush the head of the serpent. It's the gospel found in the last book of the Bible. Who is he? He's the lamb that sits on the throne. The lamb that was slain who sits on the throne. And what is he doing? He's judging. He's opening the books and judging the living and the dead. Preaching. Preaching presents Jesus. Who he is and what he's come to do. Paul writing to the Galatians says, Before your very eyes... Jesus was clearly portrayed. That word portrayed is interesting. It means that preaching paints a portrait. We have no pictures of Jesus hanging on the wall, no artistic works, but in every church there ought to be a portrait of Jesus, a portrait painted with words. That's what the gospel does. It portrays Christ. It makes a portrait of him so that you can see Jesus, see who he is and what he has come to do. That's news. That's good news. News about his person and his activity. The glorious good news is what we are tempted to be ashamed of. 
Now, why would we be tempted to be ashamed of this glorious good news of who Jesus is and what he's come to do? Well, at least two reasons why people do become ashamed of it. One is that the world thinks the gospel is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly. Or the NIV says, foolishness. It is folly to those who are perishing. They think the message is foolishness. And they think that people who believe it are fools. The world thinks you're a fool. And nobody likes being thought of as a fool. They think that salvation as a free gift is a foolish thing. Nothing comes for free. You need to work for it. They're, they're insulted that, that we would need help to save ourselves. They feel they can handle whatever comes along themselves. They think the idea that God is invisible is foolishness. Any God worth his salt ought to be visible. And you remember, some of you are old enough to remember uh, the first cosmonauts to Uh, orbit the the globe. The Soviet Union beat us uh, in uh, putting men in space and circling the the globe. And when those cosmonauts came back, they, they mocked. We were up there in heaven. We didn't see any God. You fools for believing in a God that's not there. They couldn't understand the idea of an invisible God. That's foolishness to them. The world thinks the Bible promotes outdated ideas like marriage with the husband of the head of the family. That's not healthy, they say. That's that's toxic and oppressive of women and, and children. The world thinks the Bible is contrary to science. They think that science is the only sure source of knowledge. And people who believe the Bible are as stupid and foolish as people who believe that the earth is flat. And so they mock us. The doctrine of the Trinity sounds like nonsense to the world, and they think you are illogical for believing it. Yeah, we might become embarrassed, ashamed, because the world thinks us fools. But that's not the only reason. The world also hates us because we believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel is light. It's God's light in which the righteousness of God is revealed Verse 17 of Romans 1, a righteousness from God. And the world doesn't want any talk of righteousness. People who love darkness hate the light because the light exposes their evil deeds. They hate the Bible and Christians because Christianity would limit their sexual freedom. They want sex without guilt. They want sex without responsibility. They want sex without commitment. They are offended at the idea that sin is so bad that it takes the death of the Son of God to pay for their sins. They say that if if God really put his Son to death to pay for my sins, that's, that's cosmic child abuse. And if you don't have an answer for that, you might be intimidated. You might be cowed and, and back down and and remain silent from then on because... It's not nice being hated. You know, if people speak ill of you and you deserve it, well, that's not nice. It's not pleasant. But 
Even worse is undeserved scorn, undeserved ridicule, undeserved hatred. That deeply wounds innocent souls. People speak ill of us. We are deeply hurt. Thus, to avoid undeserved pain, we're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and hide our connection to it. Most of the heresies that have arisen in the last 2,000 years have their root in an attempt to, to make the gospel more palatable, less offensive, and more in tune with the world's thinking. You know how it goes. The parishioners come to the pastor and they say, Pastor, it was, it was well enough for Paul in Corinth to determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was a pioneer missionary. Those people had never heard the gospel. But we've, we're third, fourth, fifth generation Christians. We've grown up with... We've got that. We've got it covered. You don't have to go into that all the time. You know what would really help us, Pastor? If you would preach a series of sermons. A series of sermons on how to be a godly husband. How to be a godly wife and mother. How to raise uh, uh, godly children. How to, how to uh, access spiritual power and make it uh, dynamic in our lives. How to live our best lives now. Pastor, if you would preach sermons like that, we could pack the pews. After all, uh, Joel Osteen preaches how to have your best life now, and he packs the pews and has a television audience in the millions. You know... That's what we we need to hear. We get beaten down by the world all week long. When we come to church, we don't want to be made to feel guilty. We want to be uplifted, Pastor. You know, show us the love of God. Show us the compassion of God. Show us a God who who coddles us and cares for us and, and, and doesn't make us feel bad about ourselves. And of course, pastors... They want to make the church grow too. And, and pastors recognize that if they preach about sin all the time and salvation from sin, that it's going to be a turnoff to people who don't believe. And people aren't going to come. And so, you know, what can I do to, to make the unbeliever feel more at home here? You know, maybe if I just tone it down a little bit. Paul says, and we should say, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? And this is the key thing here. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the power of God. The power that that works salvation in you. Not just justification, but sanctification and glorification. Salvation is a broad term that encompasses everything that we need. It's through the gospel that God works. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, it's because God's Word is the instrument of His power. You should know that from creation, that that God just speaks. And out of nothing comes everything. Let there be light. And there's light. You know, God just says it and it happens. He is a powerful God. And uh, therefore, you know, we don't have to embellish uh, preaching with all kinds of psychological tricks to try to make it powerful. 
you know, some uh, Arminian preachers think, you know, the, the power to believe comes from you. And so your emotions need to be manipulated to make you want to believe the gospel. We say, no. We say, where does faith come from? Well, God. God, the Holy Spirit, creates it in our hearts. He creates it. He creates it by speaking. He creates it through the preaching of the Holy Gospel. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.23, You have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. God's Word includes God's Word that is preached to you. God's The, the preaching of the Gospel is a power. It is an instrument of God's power by which You have been born again, brought to faith, and by which you are strengthened in the faith. Paul writes to, says to the Ephesian elders, the word of his grace, which can build you up. The word of his grace, which builds you up. You, you came to faith, and then you're built up by the word of his grace. And it gives you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul says, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I didn't come with psychological tricks or with emotional manipulation. My message was not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on wisdom, but on God's power. The gospel is the instrument of His power that works salvation in our hearts. But... We need to understand how that works. It's not just that, that these, these are power words that are like a magical incantation, that if you recite the words, you can harness the power of God and, and make it work for you. It's not magic. It's, it's very clear how it works. And this is how it works. In the gospel, we see the glory of God. And seeing the glory of God transforms you. When you see the glory of God, God uses that vision to transform you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, And we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. When we see the glory of God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Where did he get that idea? Well, he got it in part from Moses. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. God said, I can't show you my full glory. I'll show you metaphorically my back. And so they have a part of my glory. And, and Moses sees the glory of God and comes down from the mountain and he is transformed. His face glows glows with heavenly splendor. And people who look at the face of Moses see the glory of God reflected in the, in the face of Moses and they weren't ready for it. <laughs> they had to put a veil over Moses' face because it was too much for them. But Moses was transformed by seeing the glory of God. Now, where do we see the glory of God? Well, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who said, 
let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has given us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. And when we see the glory of God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Unlike Moses, whose glory faded, our glory gets better and better, transformed from one degree of glory to another. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't see that. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4, The God of this world, that is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a veil over their faces so that they can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, with unveiled faces, by the grace of God, He takes the veil away. And when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. We see the glory of His justice and the glory of His righteousness, the glory of His mercy. We see the Son of God made flesh who dwelt among us to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve to die. We see Him suffering and dying in our place so that by His perfect righteousness and satisfaction, we are declared righteous through faith in Him. What a marvelous God that He should do this for sinners, that while we were yet sinners, Christ should die for us. What a glorious God we have. And when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, our hearts are drawn to Him in love. And we are transformed, conformed more and more to the image of Christ, who is the image of God, in conformed in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. And where do we see the face of Jesus Christ? We see it in His portrait. The portrait that is painted with words. The words of the Gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation because the gospel shows us Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. And we see the glory of God, we are transformed. We come to faith. We are justified. And we are sanctified. We are built up more and more. And do you know? Do you know that seeing Jesus will be the means of your glorification as well? That's what John tells us in his first epistle, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. We're God's children now, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because, what does He say there? Because we shall see Him as He is. We will become like Him because we will see Him as He is. We will be made glorious when He returns in His glory and we see Him in His glory and see the glory of God in His face firsthand, not just with a picture painted with words. We will be made like Him for we will see Him. Seeing Jesus is what you need more than anything else. The gospel isn't just for unbelievers. 
It is for them to be sure. <laughs> they need it in order to come to faith. But, but Christians need to see Jesus, see Him more clearly, see Him in the Old Testament, see Him in the prophecies, see Him in the Gospels, see Him in the epistles, see Him as He is portrayed in the preaching of the Gospel from every page of Scripture so that you may be transformed from one degree of glory to another. There's a story... It may be apocryphal, I don't know, but it's a good story. It has a good point, regardless of whether it's true. It's a story of a church that, in preparation for their new pastor, decided to put an inscription on the pulpit, the way some churches have an inscription on the communion table. Uh, You know, do this in remembrance of me. Some churches have that, some don't. Uh, But they wanted to put an inscription on the pulpit, a verse from the Bible. Only they didn't, they didn't put it on the front of the pulpit where the congregation could see it. They put it back here where only the pastor could see it. It was a verse from John 12, verse 21, a verse that describes a, a group of Greeks coming to the disciples desiring to have some face time with Jesus. And in the old King James, uh, the, the leader of the group says to Philip the disciple, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. And so that congregation inscribed that on the pulpit so that every time the minister stood behind the pulpit, he would see the congregation saying to him, Sir, show us Jesus. By the grace of God and with the strength he supplies as your interim pastor, that's what I hope to do. But I can't do it without your prayers. And certainly not if you are ashamed of the gospel and pressuring me to to preach something else. I need your prayers because at age 27 when I began to preach the gospel, it was a spiritual battle. And it is no less a spiritual battle at age 70. And so I covet your prayers that together we may see Jesus and seeing Jesus be transformed from one degree of glory to another so that we might be a bright and shining light so that the the community around us may, may look at our faces the way the Israelites looked at Moses' face and see the light, the light that we are called to be. See that light in your eyes, in your face, in your joy, in your love, in your compassion. that you may be the light of the world and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in seeing Jesus in the portrait painted by the gospel, we are able to see your glory. O Father, open our eyes to that glory more and more that we may be conformed to the image of Christ in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness and be a bright and shining light for Christ in this sad world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.